Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I believe in myself, um, you know, and, and I believe in what I can do on the football field. And, um, you know, all I needed was somebody to believe in me. And those guys upstairs, they believed in me. And they took a chance. And, you know, all I can do is just continue to, you know, produce and continue to work work my tail off and uh, win ball games, man. It's a Wednesday morning edition of PFT Live. The hold-in is over in Seattle, at least for one of the players who is present and wanted a new contract and hadn't gotten a new contract and wasn't practicing and things were getting a little tense. They still have the Dwayne Brown situation to deal with. They at least got the Jamal Adams contract under control. It's over. It's done. It was a little hairy there for a while. We'll talk more about that in a second. But the bottom line is a year after the Seahawks gave up multiple first round picks to get Jamal Adams, a top 10 pick back in 2017 of the Jets. And the Jets decided we just we're never going to be able to make this guy happy. We're never going to be able to give him the contract he wants. The Seahawks, a year after the trade, they give him the contract that he wanted or more accurately, the contract that he eventually would accept highest paid safety in football. It's a four-year, $70 million extension, $17.5 million in new money. When you add it to the $9.86 million he was already due to make this year, it becomes an average of $15.97 million at signing. Either standard, the richest contract for a safety in NFL history. Still not as much as he would have wanted, but right. hey, at some point, you got to step off of what you want. You got to take what you can get. And it was smart for Jamal Adams to take the final offer because when you're a safety who plays the way he does, the last thing you want to do, Chris, is go year to year. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I think that's the point. That's where I'm happy for Jamal Adams. I mean, as you know, I know him a little bit. But, like, hey, he's a safety He's a Hall of Fame caliber talent type safety. We've heard Rodney Harrison say those same things to us on Football Night in America and all of those type of things. And he's a perfect fit for the Seattle for Seattle and their culture there. Seattle's good at 
you know, managing defensive, we love football type of psycho guys like Jamal Adams. So he fits them. They fit him. And I think that is where I am happy. I mean, you know, again, Jamal Adams, like you said, you know, it's a violent way or violent style of football for the way he plays the game. He he doesn't back down from anybody. He throws his body around. He's as fast as they come. You know, we showed all those safeties up there on the list. You know, again, and maybe Kristen, if you can put them up again as far as the yearly paid salaries. Like, yeah, the, the, you know, yeah, I expected him to get more. But what I'll say too, like, you know, to your point once again, Jamal Adams compared to all those guys there, and that's no disrespect. But to me, Jamal Adams and Buddha Baker play a kamikaze style of football where, you know, Jamal had to have that in the back of his mind that, listen, I, I don't know how long I'm going to go if my body breaks down, whatever. Uh, and I'm just glad he took the deal, got his money, and, and now we can see him on the field with the Seahawks. If Jamal Adams' agents were to see this graphic, they would strenuously object because yeah. agents value contracts based on new money. And if you look at it that way, it is $17.5 million, But... But Justin Simmons' deal was signed from scratch. It was an expired contract. Right. So 15.25 is his true average salary, new money, total money. So it is a little apples to apples there. It's it's a controversial subject because the agents always want the new money to be the number because it's always higher because you always replace the years that are remaining with new years that are worth more money later and people get pissy about it sorry london that's the first time we've apologized well, to london i don't yeah. know that pissy's a problem but they do get pissy about it when you start putting up numbers that are lower than the numbers that they're trying to broadcast far and wide because the agents want to take these contracts chris and leverage them into new clients that's the way it works no now with with uh with adams here's here's what happened because and i had a feeling this was going to happen yeah, we kind of bright talked the, about this on Monday a little bit, I think, where you're going. Sorry, go ahead. The Seahawks had gotten exasperated with Adams' demands, and they made their final offer, and their final offer sat for a week and a half, thereabouts. And that's it. This is our deal. $70 million, four years, $38 million guaranteed at signing. That's it. That's all we're doing. And once the Seahawks decided – this is our offer. Okay, if he doesn't take it, then we're just going to do one year at a time, franchise tag. Next year, franchise tag the year after that. We're content to do that. It would have been about $39 million over the next three years that he would have made. We're, we're fine to do that. And then that's when it started to get a little dicey because Adam's camp made it clear, right. I'm told by multiple sources, even though they would object to that now, and I, I heard that directly yesterday, frankly, but... Adams Camp took the position of, well, if you franchise tag him, he's a linebacker, not a safety, and that would have driven the numbers up. And they, they had this stare down for a little bit, but at the end of the day, and, and there's, no, there's no shame in this. At the end of the day, Adams decided, I'm taking the Seattle final offer. Yeah. So, I mean, Seattle got to the point where they said, that's it, we're done. Here's where, and, and I'm... I'm told they were going to pull the offer. Now, you and I had said the other day they should just leave it on the table indefinitely, and one of these days he's going to say, I better just take that offer. They were going to pull the offer. I don't know when, but they were going to pull the offer, 
and that contributed to Adams. As he explained yesterday, his mother called him multiple times and said, take the damn money. And it's the smart advice. Yeah. Mom always knows That's best. Right. It's the smart advice when you play the way you play. Get the guarantees for injury now so you can go out and play football the way you always have and not worry about getting yourself injured and never getting paid. Yeah, well, and mom was married to, to dad who had a career-ending injury, right? So, I mean, that, again, that had to be in the back of his mind during this whole process. And, you know, I, I understand. I'm glad they found common ground because I do think, you know, Jamal Adams, as far as like that list is concerned, as far as the money, yeah, he could have got a noticeable, even a more noticeable jump than that right there. So they're both be able to say, hey, new money. I am noticeably higher than everybody else. But of course, yes, it's a, it's an extension to a degree because he had that one year left and that lowers the number. So I'm glad they found that common ground because, you know, one, I love watching Jamal Adams play. He fits the Seattle mantra and, and what they want up there with Pete Carroll football. And then all the damn things he does on the defense. I mean, he might have had an argument for the linebacker thing, like no joke. But first off, we haven't seen a safety be as, as successful as a blitzer as Jamal Adams really in NFL history. These plays right here, he's a free safety, just running people down. Now he's playing the zone. Wait, got a good feel, realizes the quarterback's out of the pocket, runs them down, tackles them. I mean, it's always a violent down right away type of hit, right? And then here, this is not like necessarily uh, a great play for Jamal Adams, but I wanted to show this just because, you know, some of the positions they put him in at times. That's Cole Beasley. That's Cole Beasley. This is how important Jamal Adams is to the Seattle Seahawks. He covers slot receivers man-to-man. -man. He plays linebacker. He's one of the best blitzers in football. And that's why I'm glad to see him out there with the Seahawks, who we know are a playoff contender for sure, maybe a Super Bowl contender. And uh, just happy for him and the Seahawks that they got it done. It's a phenomenal football player. And uh, I don't know if he would have won that franchise tag argument, Mike, but, but nonetheless, he's got something to argue there uh, altogether. Well, and here's what it would have done. It would have hovered over the entire 2021 season because right. the argument would have been resolved based upon where he was positioned, what position he was playing this year. Not last year, not the year before, not any time prior to this year. So now you have introduced into your effort to try to win as many games as possible this this little thing of, oh, boy, if we if – we, if we drop him down into the box too often, if we yeah, put him on the edge right. too often, and see with linebacker, there is an outside linebacker or inside linebacker under the franchise tag. So anything, if you get up into the front seven anywhere, that counts as a linebacker snap. And I just don't think the Seahawks wanted to go there. And, and at the end of the day, the threat, the promise, the vow, whatever, didn't do much. I'm told there were some cosmetics that were added to the back end of the deal just as a little face saver. Look at the, hey, Pete Carroll said all the right things yesterday. No one's going to rub Jamal Adams' face in the fact that he capitulated when the time came because it was the right thing for him to do. As you mentioned, his dad's career was cut short due to injury. Adams specifically said that yesterday because he got on FaceTime with his dad and pointed out his his career was cut short by injury. That is a, that. That is a, a concern for everyone who plays in the NFL, but especially right. a guy like Jamal Adams. If you're a quarterback, you can play the year-by-year -year game. But like Dak Prescott did, and, and he suffered a broken ankle and still won the year-at-a-time game. Kirk Cousins played it a year-at-a-time. 
you have different rules, you have different realities, you have different protections, and you're less likely to get a serious injury. That's right. Jamal Adams, and and now the Seahawks have all the risk. That pendulum swung back to the Seahawks. They're carrying the risk now, and they're happy to because they know when he's healthy, they've got one of the best difference makers in football. Yeah, there's a special player, special personality that brings energy to, like, your defense every day. You know, those are the type of things that Jamal Adams does. So, yeah, it, it makes sense from that standpoint. And you're right. Like, the, the Seahawks didn't want to be handicapped with that in, in this, this, this upcoming year as far as, oh, if we move him here, we move him there. Oh, man, now he's in the box, all those type of things. Uh, th- yes, they don't want to have to deal with that and have that affect game planning and, and, and schemes and all those type of things. And for Jamal Adams – yeah, I, I mean, I'm glad he took the offer on the table and didn't make this any harder. Yeah, for the reasons we've stated, you know, he he is like is he's one of the biggest hitters in the game. I don't know anything to say it. He throws his body around everywhere. He's always in the scrum. And as you know, as we all know that watch football, I mean, when you're down there in the box in the scrum, man, it's one offensive lineman falls on your leg wrong, defensive lineman trips and falls, something like that, and your career's never the same, and you're never the same player. So uh, I think this was the right decision by him, and, and uh, I'm glad he got it. And the Seahawks knew when they traded for him last year they were going to have to do this at some point. I still think they should have done it on the way through the door. They would have gotten him for less overall if they had done it on the way through the door, but they managed to kick the can for a year, get the deal done, and now he's under contract for five seasons in Seattle, and uh, he's got the significant guarantee, and the Seahawks can move forward and focus now on getting Dwayne Brown. Not back in the building. He's in the building. No more holdouts, all hold-ins. But they need to get Dwayne Brown to the point where he's happy with his contract so he will suit up and practice and play and get ready for week one against the Colts. And this all came to a head right about four weeks before the start of the season because, hey, it's one thing for Jamal Adams to not be all in the first couple of weeks of camp. That's fine. That's great. But the clock starts to tick and the coaches start to get antsy. And I suspect the Seahawks were very motivated to try to break this logjam. And they did. To their credit, they figured out how to do it. To Adam's credit, he did the smart thing at the end of the day. He took the best offer that was on the table. It wasn't going to get any better. It was possibly going to go away. Don't go year to year when you play like he does. And uh, good for Jamal Adams. Congratulations to him and the Seahawks for working it out. Now, now, uh, let's talk a little bit more about about Brown before we pivot to another issue, though. Yeah, Um, They they, they need Dwayne Brown. You know, this is part of the stuff that had Russell Wilson upset in the offseason. You know, remember when Russell Wilson was upset and, like, everybody connected to the team now tries to act like he wasn't? Well, he was. And one of the reasons he was is because he gets sacked all the time. You need Dwayne Brown out there. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, obviously, it's a pet peeve of Russell Wilson. We've heard it too many times, like, bubble up through Rumorville the last few years about protection. You know, again, I'm going to put some of the blame on him. He is a reason they take some some sacks, but that's okay, too, because he's the magic man and gets out of these situations and makes big plays all the time. But regardless, where I think this is a little different than maybe like Jamal Adams and, and that side of the ball, you know, I, 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 Dwayne Brown is a professional. I don't think it's ever going to take him too much to catch up. But they are implementing a new offense there. 
right now with Shane Waldron, which is, of course, we know is going to be very heavily run-based and those type of things. And that's ultimately what's going to make the coaches nervous is just the fact that, wait, he hasn't got a lot of reps that are inside, outside zone. Some of the calls we do, some of the adjustments that we make on the fly, that's going to scare them, let alone they know it's not one of the strengths of their football team altogether. You know, they're a little banged up at the position. We saw the preseason game last week. It didn't look necessarily all that good at the tackle position. So they got to get this done. You got to get this done, one, for your own football team and Russell Wilson and this new offense. Two, um, you play in the NFC West. There is super freaks coming off the defensive line every play. So you better have a really damn good left tackle with Leonard Floyd and Aaron Donald and Nick Bosa and company all going to be, you know, a, a formidable foe all year long. So I would be, I'm on the camp of, I don't know where you are. This, this is something, it's going to get done. Um, I just feel like if it gets done too late in training camp, you might not see the best Dwayne Brown early on in the season. And that could affect, you know, wins and losses and their positioning in the playoffs or if they even get in the playoffs. Rewind four years, Dwayne Brown held out in Houston yeah. deep into the regular season, showed up about as late as he possibly could to still get traded and got traded to the Seahawks. So just like the trade for Jamal Adams, they kind of knew what they were getting themselves into. Now, it wasn't a short-term contractual problem with Dwayne Brown. They took care of that. But this is a guy who has shown that he will take a stand on principle. He will do what he thinks he needs to do. And I, I don't think the approach to Brown should be the same as the approach to Adams. There could be a little hubris ricocheting around the front office in Seattle now thinking, hey, we'll just do the same thing with Dwayne Brown. I have a feeling the same thing won't work. You know, hey, here's our final offer, and we, you know, we just expect you at some point. This was implicit. It was never said to Jamal Adams, but this implicit message of, hey, at some point you got to put the helmet on and get out there and practice and get ready for week one. You're here. You're not getting fined. You didn't hold out, but at some point it's conduct detrimental to the team if you don't do your job. I don't know that that works with Dwayne Brown either. I, I just I, I think it's a different problem altogether. And there is, Chris, the way you laid it out, as bit as much urgency to get him on the field and ready to go as there was to get Adams on the field. Because you're right, in that division, with Russell Wilson's concerns that he now acts like we're never concerned. And that's that's fine. I thought Aaron Rodgers would be the one who would do that. Russell Wilson's <laughs> the one who acted like it was all made up and he's the he one who you. he's the one who he's the one who said it. <laughs> but yeah, they they better they better get it together. And my sense is that now that Adams is done, you're gonna have a lot more focus, a lot more attention on what it's gonna take to get Dwayne Brown happy and I, uh, the Seahawks I'm confident we'll figure it out yeah me too but 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 still there will be bumps yes. and potholes along the way and we try to keep our finger on the pulse of what's happening and and just because there may be some challenges if it finally gets done it doesn't mean there weren't challenges see I knew what would happen with Adams the deal gets done there was like oh all that other stuff was crap well no it wasn't that's the reason the deal got done <laughs> all that posturing and saber rattling and drawing lines in the sand that's what got the deal done. Yeah. It doesn't get done if you don't have that stuff happen, and it helps, frankly, that some of it bubbles up publicly. Yeah, no, it, it does sometimes. You're right. You know, hey, listen, there's a play on 
There's a play on Twitter that everybody talks about right now with like Dwayne Brown being out of action last week where even that publicly stirs the pot a little bit because, you know, the play Geno Smith got crushed on. Everybody goes, whoa, it's a rookie left tackle. They better get Dwayne Brown out there and all those type of things. That adds to kind of the circus and the drama behind it. I don't think it's the left tackle's fault here. I think this is Geno Smith's fault, honestly. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. He did not. Let me tell you something. I'm going to peel back the curtain. Pete has been counting the minutes until he could play this because he was convinced it was the left tackle's fault. And when I got the text last night, I said, look, I'm not going to – I don't want to expose my ignorance here and say <laughs> I, I don't really think it's the left tackle's fault when no. a guy blitzes from the slot and right. Gino holds onto the football and gets swallowed up. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. No problem. Sorry, Pete. Yeah. Welcome back, Pete. Yeah. Welcome Did you back, Pete? Pete. You're not Bill Belichick. <laughs> you don't know defensive blitzes, all right? <laughs> 19 minutes in and Pete gets called out. Hi, Pete. <laughs> but, but nonetheless – that play on social media does do, you know, a favor to Dwayne Brown because it just becomes part of the public perception and the media fanfare and everybody goes, whoa, whoa we can't put Russell Wilson out there. Did you see them protecting Geno Smith? It's all that. All right, that doesn't really matter. You know, it might put a little pressure on the situation, but I think ultimately it comes back to what we're saying. I mean, the Seahawks are trying to create a new attitude and a new style on the offensive side of the ball. You know, they, they do think they're a Super Bowl team. Dwayne Brown is... You know, I'm not going to say he's a top five left tackle, but I think he's borderline that. He's certainly top 10. And, you know, then you got the Shane Waldron McVay system being implemented and all those type of things. You know, he hasn't really been involved in a system like that either. So there might be some rules and some nuances to that uh, that he doesn't quite understand or at least hasn't practiced a whole lot in his life. Uh, so it, to me, uh, I think, you know, as we get, get off this topic, I think it gets done, like you said, no doubt. It's just if it gets done too late, you know, he might let up a sack or two against the Colts in week one. Or then, you know, Bud Dupree and the Titans in week two. He might not be at his best, and that can affect your football team. And one thing about that Shane Waldron offense, during the time that we were off, we had various stories at PFT about it, quotes from different players right. about what they've seen so far early in training camp reaction. They're, they're doing a lot of the things, Chris, that you were preaching last year they should have done. You come out in a formation – and it you can't tell anything right from how they're lined up the pre-snap motion you can't crack the code right can't tell whether it's a run can't tell whether it's a pass they're harping on that and as you pointed out last year they started strong because they had revamped some things but the problem is they didn't stay ahead of the defenses they had they had tendencies they had tells and defenses started to figure out what they were doing the the approach this year is for as long as possible into the season keep defenses from ever getting to the point where they can diagnose based upon alignment, formation, pre-snap movement, what is coming. That That's such an underrated point, but the longer you can keep the defense guessing, keep them on their heels, is it a run or is it a pass, you get a chance to execute your play before they figure it out. Yeah, no doubt. It's, it's a huge part of the game, and it doesn't need to be overly complicated, you know, but that, that is what McVay is a genius at. And, yeah, you got to give different looks. you got to have a lot of the same plays that maybe start out looking the same but then end up being different, and you got to have checks and balances, you know. That, that's really where it is, too. That's where McVay is brilliant, you know, and I think we're going to see even more from McVay and probably even Shane Waldron because they got a quarterback who can really, you know, throw lasers all over the field to where it might open up the offense. 
but they don't let you overplay any other aspect of their offense. Oh, you're playing the outside zone too hard. Too hard, huh? Oh, okay, well, here comes the speed sweep. Backside linebacker, you keep going flying over there. Here comes the speed sweep or a zone cutback. They have checks and balances for everything in their offense for when a defense goes, wait, we're going to stop this. They go, oh, well, here you go. It looks like that other play, but it's going to be a lot different. I'm dangling the carrot in front of you. And that's where I am excited to see Russell Wilson and, and company in this offense and, and the kind of damage he might be able to do. And having someone on the staff who has basically one job, which is constantly look at our offense, figure out where the weaknesses are, how would you attack it as a defense? I remember when Eric Mangini resurfaced after his stint with what he went from Jets to Browns, Browns right. and then he was, and then he ended up in San Francisco at one point as an offensive consultant because right. he was there to help Jim Harbaugh crack the code Self before the defenses thyself. of the other team right. crack the code. That's what you're going to need. That's what they didn't have last year. If they did, whoever was doing it didn't do a very good job. They need that this year. Stay a step ahead. Figure out where the weaknesses are and address them. And and ideally, the next level is you you, you rope-a-dope the defense. You make them think they've cracked the code. Exactly. And then... And then they and end up two or three falling flat balls. on their asses. Right. Exactly. Yeah, no doubt about it. And that's where McVay is, is brilliant that way. And I think we'll see some of that from Shane Waldron. And, of course, Shane Waldron, like we talked about, this is not Jared Goff. No disrespect to him. This is Russell Wilson. He can throw 65-yard lasers and run, you know, run to his left and throw a post back to his right. And they got DK Metcalf and company. So, you know, that's where that run game and that, you know, physicality and all those things are, are going to be big for this team. And Dwayne Brown, you know, being a big part of that, tying it back all together, you know, is a big part of, of their success and or, or the success they want to have this year. Back to Jamal Adams, the record-setting safety contract that he received did not go unnoticed in Kansas City. Oh. Where Tyron Matthew finishing up the third year of what was a $14 million per year contract Responding to one of the tweets regarding the Adams deal, the disrespect is noted. And that was in response to, and I don't know, maybe I need glasses now or that screen needs to be bigger. Could be relevant to the Chiefs contract negotiations with at Matthew era, a.k.a. Tyron Matthew. The disrespect is noted. So they are trying to negotiate. Brett Veach, the GM of the team, recently said they'd like to get a new deal done with Tyron Matthew. He's entering that final year of what was a three-year deal. Remember, they wanted Earl Thomas. Yeah, good Kansas thing they City. didn't do that. <laughs> top 10 safety? You yeah, don't want right. a top 10 safety? I mean, all the crap I took about that. For saying he <laughs> they can the still have him. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, if I'm Tyron Matthew, I say, go get Earl Thomas. <laughs> you don't want me. Earl Thomas is still available. Remember how insistent so many people were last year when the Ravens cut Earl Thomas that someone would yes. inevitably – Pounce on Earl Thomas. Yes. Anyway, I, mean, I got into it with everybody on Twitter. People telling me I'm an idiot. You're crazy. He's still one of the three best safeties in football. I mean, I had people telling me that. Uh, but yeah, I, not to bag on Earl, who's a, a Hall of Fame type safety. But you're right. They made the right decision with Tyron Matthew. Yeah. Well, they the decision was made for them. Yeah, you're they right. They wanted yeah. Earl Thomas, right. and the Ravens <laughs> paid Earl Thomas a lot of money, and Tyron Matthew was the fallback. And you know, it could be that. Hey, I love Tyron Matthew, and he's smart enough to know I was the fallback. They wanted Earl Thomas. You know, I've I've outperformed what they expected me to do, and hey, I you want that defense to be good enough to complement 
the offense they have in Kansas City, you need a guy like Tyron Matthew. He's a hell of a leader. He's a hell of a player. He's extremely versatile. And he, I don't understand why he's not more appreciated, Chris, than he is. But it feels like he doesn't get. You know, he had some buzz early in his career and yeah. definitely at LSU. Right. But it, it, it this deep into it, he's still playing at a high level. He is. I just think it's it's – I guess it's hard – when your quarterback is Patrick Mahomes and your offense is such a focal point of the team, it's hard for anybody to get noticed on the defense, no matter how good they are. Well, yeah, they're definitely, you're right. They steal the show on the offensive side of the ball to a degree. And listen, I think really the point is kind of just what you said. You know, we talk about Jamal Adams and all the things he does for the Seahawks defense. Tyron Matthews, the same type of thing, maybe even more at times. Cause like, like you just mentioned, it's like, I think part of the reason he doesn't get mentioned top safety and all that because there's so many damn snaps during a game where he doesn't play safety. He's at corner. He's at nickel. He's at, you know, dime linebacker inside the box. Oh, now he's back at traditional safety. He moves all over the field. Steve Spagnuolo has one of those defenses that changes week to week. I mean, it's a game plan specific thing. And that's where Tyron Matthew is, is really special because he can be in the Super Bowl in the box, tackling Leonard Fournette or doing something like that, and then be out on the outside covering Antonio Brown man-to-man on the very next play. I mean, th that's that's a special skill set. I would have a hard time again here, just like Jamal Adams, thinking like Kansas City's going to get this done. I don't know if Tyron Matthew wants to be the highest-paid safety in football. Listen, to me, Jamal Adams is the best safety in football. I don't know if he's worthy of that, but I certainly can understand him you know, wanting more, wanting the security and all those things. But there is a little difference, too. You know, he did get one big payday here already. Jamal Adams had yet to have that. So I could see him being a little bit more desperate than Tyron Matthew, but would be shocked if the Chiefs don't take care of him. And and here's the other side of it. And I will refer to this as the Goody Koontz doctrine. This, this gets to the heart of the tension between the Packers GM and Aaron Rodgers you can't just start giving out huge contracts to guys who may be approaching the point where right. a dip will happen. Sure. Tyron Matthew turns 30 in May. Yes. He's not 25. He's not on the front end of his prime. He's smack dab in the middle of it. And at this point, there's no reason to think there won't be some sort of a decline over the course of the next few years. I don't want to sell the guy short yeah, because I you. maybe he finds a way to to you know put a foot up father times but and and hold that off but I think that's the concern from Kansas City's perspective got to be you don't want to do some contract that's all built up with fluff and he can say hey I'm making 18 million a year in new money but the way it's structured after a couple of years the Chiefs have to cut the cord because the cap number's too big and he's 32 years old and we've got a guy that we drafted in round three that we really like who's making a hell of a lot less money and the only way he's going to develop is if we get rid of the veteran that's the Goody Koontz concept at some point you've got to turn over the roster and it feels heartless and unemotional but that's the way it is the older player goes the younger player steps up yeah and and I think that's probably reason for some of the hesitation to give Tyron Matthew a gigantic contract at this point. I, I, I mean, it makes sense. I, I do. I mean, I think you, again, I'm, I'm agreeing with you a lot today, but I, I think you explained it right. Like if I'm the chiefs and really, I mean, Tyron Matthew, as you said, is very smart. He seems to have a great feel for the league, everything like that. You know? Yeah. I, I would want to give him a deal that, like you said, is real good for two years. 
And then it's like, ah, third and fourth year, it's kind of, we'll see how it goes. You know, and it's no disrespect to Tyron Matthew, too, to what you said. Hey, history tells us, you know, we got numbers and data that tell you, like, safeties at the age of 30, yeah, things start to go downhill, especially for, you know, the smaller, faster type of safety guys who play an aggressive style of football, which Tyron Matthew does. I mean, yeah, he's a nickel corner, he's a safety you know, he's not afraid to get, like we talked about, get down in the box and throw his body around and hit running backs and do those type of things. And, yeah, that has to be a worry. So I, I would I would hope they can find some common ground here to go, hey, here's, you know, a good chunk of change for a year or two. And then, hey, let's see where you're at when you're 32 slash going on 33. And if you're still good to go, hey, we might have a little more, you know, change to give you. If not, then we might have to part ways and move on and it's a business and all of that. But would be absolutely shocked if they don't get something done here early in the year. Valuable member of the team, extremely hard to replace, great leader, great right. presence, and uh, hopefully the Chiefs find a way to keep him around at least for three more years, maybe longer than that. We'll see how that goes. The Steelers trying to keep T.J. Watt in the fold. He's another one of the guys holding in, showing up, not practicing. Mike Tomlin had some comments last week where it sounded like talking about a guy who was holding out. Instead of saying, I'm focused on the guys who are here, he said, I'm focused on the guys who are practicing. <laughs> yeah, this right. Great opportunity for the guys who are practicing, like Melvin Ingram getting reps with the first team. In other words, hey, T.J., hey, Melvin, Melvin Ingram looking pretty good out here. So T.J. Watt, Potentially getting closer to the end of the road here and getting his contract. The Steelers restructured earlier this week Stefan Tuitt's contract, creating $6.34 million in current year cap space. The Steelers, it seems like every year they are Up restructuring it, contracts. Right? Yeah. Restructuring contracts. You wouldn't think that that would be a Steelers problem. You'd think that's a Cowboys problem. But every year they're scrambling to create cap space, kicking the can into future years, and then we get to the next year and they kick a different can or the same can even farther. But that should give them enough, that extra 6.34, to get to the point where they can come up with something yeah. – that will, that will kick the can of a lot of the cap charges for T.J. Watt in the future years as yeah, well. Right. But, but make him happy, make him feel like he's properly compensated and keep him in Pittsburgh. But, you know, at some point, just like we said with Jamal Adams and the other guys who are holding in, at some point it's got to end and the guy's got to practice and play. And you got you to figure Mike Tomlin's starting to get a little impatient as he gets fewer than four weeks away from the start of his season in Buffalo. I mean, definitely. He's got to be. I mean, first off, it's the Steelers' defense. It's Blitzburg. It's all about guys coming off the edge. And T.J. Watt is, like, without a doubt, I mean, I don't know. I mean, not without a doubt. He's without a doubt the best pass rusher on their football team, but without a doubt one of the three or four or five best pass rushers in the game right now. And, of course, that's an important part. I look at it a lot like the Jamal Adams thing here again. Just go, like, I mean, this has got to get done. It's going to get done. I think to me, the thing I'm most interested in is, you know, with T.J. Watt, yeah, leading the NFL in sacks last year, you know the attitude, he's a professional, going to do all those type of things, but what kind of money is he asking for? That, that to me, is the, the real big thing. You know, again, he's going to get more than the Fred Warner, Darius Leonard's of the world. He's an edge pass rusher. Are they going to go as high as, like, I mean, Joey Bosa and that type of stuff? That's where I'm just a little interested. I think something gets done. There's no doubt about that. But I'm just interested in the number that T.J. Watt's kind of looking for here as, you know, being one of the best pass rushers in the game.
That Bosa deal, I know, is a little crazy. Created a lot of problems. Yes, Twenty-seven it did. million per year in new money. It it contributed to Daniil Hunter's discontent in Minnesota. Right. And I I don't know how long it's going to take for that high watermark to be passed Woo. by someone else. I don't think the Steelers are going to be paying T.J. Watt twenty-seven million per year. I don't think they. I mean, they could. I guess they could find a way to get to that average if they really backload it. There are all sorts of games you can play, and. And ultimately, it comes down to what the player is looking for and what his agent's looking for, because the agent ends up with a lot of influence. Do you want to be able to say, I got the highest, best, on average, new money deal that anyone's ever signed? Are you more concerned about guarantees? Do you want a lot of that money to be guaranteed for injury because you're playing a position, even though it's not quite the same as Jamal Adams? There's still plenty of risk for T.J. Watt. So I think guarantees and specifically injury guarantees would mean more than being able to say, hey, I got the highest average in history at, at the position. So it, it's a challenge. It that is. Joey Bosa contract, it, it's, it's – it, <laughs> and, and with Nick Bosa in San Francisco and his rookie deals up this year, and if he stays healthy all season, the 49ers are going to be staring at that next year. But that $27 million per year has been a problem, well, I think, for plenty of teams. And, and why I bring it up is because – T.J. Watt has played, what, one less year of football and has more sacks than Joey Bosa. So, like, him and his camp got to be looking at it going, wait, he's 27. I've outperformed him. I I don't know. I just wonder where that is. Now, I don't look at him as being, like, a greedy guy that's going to necessarily be like, I got to be the highest paid or anything like that. He would give you the side eye right Right, now. He probably would. He'd be like, yeah, screw you. Shut shut up with my money. But, you know, that that to me is what, like, again, I don't doubt that this gets done. I just – I'm interested to see the the number that comes out. Where are we at, like, with Miles Garrett? Miles Garrett's where? $25 million a year? Khalil Mack's at $23 million a year? You know – you know, maybe they look at the Khalil Mack to go, wait, that's kind of what you are. You're an outside linebacker slash defense end. You do that. You're not a true defense end. And maybe that's the common ground. But that's certainly the thing I'm going to be, you know, interested to see uh, that number and where it goes. $23.5 million per year, the Khalil Mack contract from a few years back. Shaq Barrett did $17 million this year yeah. as an outside linebacker with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, and, and that whole – linebacker defensive end thing that becomes part of the equation as well but uh, yeah the the Joey Bosa 27 million I think is is a complicating factor for plenty of the contracts that are being done and will be done in the future and you could argue now a lot of it is health Joey Bosa has been injured a lot but you could argue that TJ Watt has been a more productive NFL player overall than Joey Bosa speaking of productive NFL players or, or or not the Tim Tebow tight end era is over. There was one? We'll discuss that next here on this Wednesday edition. There was one. I was reading about it daily. There definitely was. <laughs> the announcement came yesterday morning directly from the source. Tim Tebow released by the Jaguars, making it known. Very thankful, very grateful for the opportunity to be on the 90-man roster. Couldn't make it to the 85-man roster among the first wave of cuts i've got some thoughts on why and how that happened before that though let's hear from the guy who decided to give tebow the job and who decided to take the job away urban meyer yesterday regarding the question of why it didn't work for tim tebow you know we knew that was an uphill battle for tim and and uh players loved him locker room loved him but uh it was the right thing is this the end of the road for tim 
NFL, professional football? I would guess it is. You know, we didn't get that deep with it. Obviously, he's his own man. Uh, uh, elite warrior, elite competitor, uh, but he's also 34 years old. You know, two of the special teams phases are tackling. And you never tackle. That's what I found myself, and I'm still finding myself, all of us. You know, every, every off day, we'll have a two to three hour meeting about roster management. And it comes down because we expect to be very good in special teams. And you know, tight end position is one of those, and tailback, if, if you can't contribute on special teams, that's a tough go. And the point we made on Monday when we talked about Tebow's preseason debut as a tight end on his 34th birthday, six tight ends drafted or, or dressed that night and played for the Jaguars. Five of them were involved in special teams plays. Tebow was the only one who did not have a single special team rep. That was the clue yes. as to what's coming. The special teams coordinator did not deem him capable of running down the field and making a tackle like special teams players have to do. Right. And I credit Urban Meyer. Look, I thought yeah. when he signed this guy, he was determined to make it work. I credit Urban Meyer for recognizing it's a different world than college. You can't just hand out jerseys to anyone you want. You can't just hide a guy on the field somewhere against Northwest Louisiana State. <laughs> this guy's got to contribute or he's going to be exposed. We saw him exposed as a blocker. On offense on Saturday night, we didn't see him exposed as a blocker or tackler on special teams because they didn't let him do it. Right. That's and how bad it was. Exactly. They didn't let him even try. Exactly. Yeah, no, they didn't even let him try. You know, again, this is part of the reason why, you know, again, I was anti-Tim Tebow, get him in as a tight end, all of those type of things. Yeah, listen, I know with the ball in his hand, he can lower the shoulder and take a hit and do those type of things. It's still not the same mentality as I got to fire off the ball and block this guy and move him or I got to run down the field like a kamikaze and break down and throw my head into somebody's you know hip or thigh and knock a, a, a some returner down who's running 4-4 at 220 pounds you know that that's you, you got to be conditioned that's a special skill set in itself team T Tim Tebow has a lot of other special skill sets that's just not one of them and you know like Urban Meyer said uh, yeah, if you're a tight end, you've got to be Gronkowski or somebody like that to not play special teams. You have to be a star, an elite guy. And even Gronkowski played some special teams, if I can remember, like on field goal block and things like that's that. How he, that's how he broke his arm. That's remember right. Remember that arm yeah, injury that knocked right. him out forever? It was on an extra point attempt. I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, that, that, but that is, that's a huge part of uh, the game at the tight end position, especially. And, and I'm with you, like you said. I, I will give Urban Meyer a lot of credit for cutting the cord, I think, at the proper time. Because it's, it, I think it would be hard to sell that to your team going forward after what he put on film, and then he's not contributing anywhere else. Then the team's going to start going, wait, what the hell's going on here? Are we playing like best buddy pals, pen pals here, and he's getting to stay on the roster after that? So I, I think it was right for, for everybody involved that, that it ended. That video was so viral that he was trending into Monday morning and everyone's got their phones and everyone's got Twitter and and yeah the locker room starts seeing that and I I I assume it assume it never got to the point where they played it for the full team and gave Tim Tebow a hard time about it. I that's, doubt that. Yeah. That's that's one of the things you avoid by cutting him. You don't have to put him through that indignity where 
you either you either point it out and let everyone have a laugh or you ignore it and everyone's like, hmm, 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 taking care of his buddy here. So I credit Urban Meyer for learning on the fly that this is a different world than Columbus or Gainesville, that it is a pure meritocracy. And if you are perceived as playing favorites to people who don't deserve it, there's going to be a problem. Now, that said, he never should have given him the roster spot in the first place. Somebody else should have had the chance to go from 90 to 85 to 80 to 53. That opportunity that was given to Tebow was an opportunity that wasn't given to yeah. someone else who possibly could have done it. We'll never know. We'll never know. Yeah, that's why but, we argued it so aggressively in, right. in the spring. Like, and that's what I, it right. People were like, well, why not give him a chance? Well, somebody else isn't getting a chance who deserves it more. That's right. why you don't give him a chance. Because right. there's some other guy out there who can't find a roster spot who maybe could come in and convince you on special teams. He's going to he's gonna fly down the field and do everything you want. He's going to well, – not that we want guys to do this, but I remember Rodney Harrison saying the way he got Bobby Ross's attention in 1994, he went down the field full speed and knocked himself out. Yeah. Again, yeah. Right. not the way you want to play football nowadays, but that same kind of – dialed back a little bit, zeal and aggression and passion and ability is what you want to see. Every clip we showed to Tebow as a blocker, he looked fish out of water. Yeah. He looked hesitant. Right. He looked confused. He looked tentative. That's not going to work in the NFL. No, no. Tentative never works in the NFL. Tentative gets yourself hurt or other players hurt. You know, there's a reason we always see like the biggest, baddest, most physical teams never get hurt. Yeah, because they're doing all the hitting and the playing hard and being aggressive and acting first and all those type of things like you're talking about. And that's where it becomes a liability too. Not only do you mess up the play, but you start to worry like, wait, when he doesn't really want to block that guy and falls, is he going to hurt our right guard or do something like that? Uh, it just, yes, it's a very tough adjustment. That's what we were trying to explain. You know, I don't care what kind of athlete you are. Man, he went such a long time playing quarterback and then went a long time without playing football in general. You know, there's a difference there. Let's take Logan Thomas, right, from Virginia Tech, who's now a really good tight end for the Washington football team. You know, he made a quarterback transition, but he only played quarterback for a little in college and a little bit in the NFL for like a year. And then everyone was like, yeah, you're not a quarterback. He got to start to work on it. This was like uncharted territories. We'd never seen anybody do this. Uh, and especially not even guys who were great at a position, and then coming back that long, being great again. I mean, it was it was just weird altogether to me. And you know, yeah, I'll give Urban Meyer credit for for cutting it cutting it loose. We're coming up on the 10 year anniversary of the game that launched Tebow Mania. And Chris, you may remember this. I think you were still in the league then. 2011. Were yeah, you still I was out. I was on the couch crying, but I wasn't in the league. Okay. <laughs> well, well, you were probably excited the day that you watched. Tebow and the Broncos go to Miami oh, yeah. for the University of Florida reunion game. Remember how <laughs> right. weird that was? Right. And they were down 15-0 in the fourth quarter, and the Broncos came back and won. Well, the guys who play in that stadium for the University of Miami, they got the last laugh. This was a long setup, but trust me, there's a payoff. Ed Reed, former University of Miami standout, sticking it to the Florida guy on Twitter yesterday. He got released. Oh, really? And uh, a few <laughs> laugh till you cry emojis from Hall of Famer Ed Reed, probably with an awesome gigantic cigar in his hand, in one hand while he tweeted that with the other. So uh, that's that. Real quickly, because we we're spent a lot of time talking about the things we already talked about. Not right. that we're, I'm, I'm happy we have. We've had some good conversation. But I need to mention, yeah, Josh Rosen. Hmm. 
feels like end of the road for the 10th overall pick in the 2018 draft. He went from the Cardinals to the Dolphins to the Buccaneers practice squad last year. Identified an opportunity in San Francisco to learn the Kyle Shanahan offense and got on board late in the year. Well, in comes Trey Lance and there's Jimmy Garoppolo and there's Nate Sudfeld and Josh Rosen is out Chris, it was sold yesterday as a chance for him to latch on elsewhere for the rest of camp. I don't know where he's going to latch on. Do you? No, no, I don't. You know, I, I don't know if this is the end of the road, but only from the fact that he's a top 10 pick, you know, and again, not that he's done anything on the field that's going to like warrant like, oh, yeah, let's bring him in. But uh, we've seen this through time. I mean, if you're a top 10 pick, you usually get nine lives in the NFL. You really do because everybody goes he's on seven, but he, yeah, he's had set. Yeah, right. So I think he'll probably get one more crack with the team here, whether it's practice squad, third stringer, whatever. Uh, maybe he signs with a team. Is mid- that really latching on though? No, I mean, not. he's in that. No, he's going to get one more crack, now- not latching. I guess I should say. There's a guy out there, and I mean no disrespect to him at all, but the Vikings added him when they were down to one healthy quarterback because of their COVID thing, and his name's Case Cookus, and I'd never heard of Case Cookus. I like saying the name, but he's kind of bounced around now to the Vikings and the Raiders, and, you know, they need four arms per team to distribute all the reps in practice, and and I feel like Josh Rosen is in that Case Cookus churn now where maybe we'll see him sign somewhere while somebody's injured, and then when the guy's back, he'll be gone and the chances of him actually being on a roster as of week one probably slim now 16 man practice squads per team maybe he finds a practice squad like he did last year but this idea that he's strategically finding a team where he can grow and develop and evolve and eventually get on the field I think that phase is over over. I think he's fully in the in the I'll, I'll I'll take a paycheck to come be part of the guys who are on the practice field, but I know I'm not going to get on the the playing field. Yeah, I'm with you. I I think it's going to be one of those type of things. Hey, let's take a shot on this guy, put him on the practice squad. You know, maybe if our first two got first two get hurt, you know, this guy can, he can control the ball. You know, he did play a good amount as a rookie. So that would be where I would think of if I was in that situation where I just went, hey, we could use a third that I, you know, would like to trust to a degree or has a little talent that maybe we can make into something or make the backup, make him a backup at some point. Uh, I I think he still gets one more crack, but you're right. He's not going to be choosy anymore. That's for sure. He's just going to have to hope somebody gives him a chance. All right, let's take a break. When we return, some folks with the Giants made plenty of news yesterday with the things that they said. We'll begin to unpack that when this Wednesday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. The G-Man. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. 
So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Check out Jalen Rieger's catch. Man. Eagles camp. Wow. Snagging it right out of the air. Look yes, the gloves have something to do with it. it. Holy cow. Listen, we, we were talking during the break about the gloves and how good the gloves are. There was a time when the competition committee was actually floating the idea that they need to make the gloves less effective. And I'm serious when I say this. That ended with the Odell Beckham Jr. catch in 2014 on Sunday Night Football against the Cowboys. You never heard anything more right. about the gloves being less effective and – and, and Rodney Harrison and I used to go back and forth joking around about it. It's the gloves. It's the gloves. But it is the gloves. A lot of times, it is the gloves. It definitely it's like, is. It's like the old I, – I remember when I was a kid, I had the, the dartboard, the cloth dartboard with the little plastic balls that were coated in Velcro. And if you just got that thing close, it stuck. Right. There, it just – you could throw it as hard or as soft as you wanted, and it stuck on that cloth. Yeah. No, I, I, the, the gloves are unbelievable. I mean, all you got to do is, you know, look at social media on a daily basis – you see people making one-handed catches everywhere. I mean, high schoolers, college people, you know, that catch there, which is unbelievable. You know, these guys have great hands, but I don't know if they could pull in all these one-handed catches uh, if it weren't for those gloves. So, yeah, I don't think we're going to hear anything about that after the NFL made $70 gazillion off of the Odell Beckham Jr. one-handed catch. The one thing I'll say, Mike, and you've heard me say this before, I do think there is a dangerous aspect to the gloves because of the defensive players, because they can grab, you don't see defensive players fall off the ball carrier anymore. Never, you know, back in the eighties and things, there'd be a guy on your Jersey and he'd fall off and fall to the ground. Now, because of the gloves, they grab those jerseys. It's over. You're like hogtied. And that's when you see people like Dak Prescott get their, somebody fall on their ankle and break their ankle. To me, uh, it's something that I would look at uh, as far as that aspect, because I do think it causes a few injuries every year throughout the league. Yeah, maybe just the receivers get to where the the, the ultra high tech, right. the ball just happens to be whizzing by you and it spins in the air and comes back and attaches to your glove. That's how good the glove is. All right, Odell Beckham Jr. made that great catch. He's had a great career. The guy who traded him away from the Giants, Dave Gettleman, has a quarterback that he hopes will become great. Here is Dave Gettleman when asked the question yesterday by reporters, hey, look, you picked up an extra first round pick. For next year, you got two first-rounders now. Did you make that trade and pick up that extra pick with the idea of upgrading a quarterback come 2022? Here's his answer. Not even, not even a thought. No. The, the, the trade was made because the opportunity you know, was there. And it was an opportunity to get it, create a lot of value. And we really liked you know, the, the position that we were in. So no, that was not done as a as any kind of a hedge. We believe in Daniel, you know, and, and we're excited to see what he's going to do when he, you know, second year in the system. You know, he, you know, he's had a, like I've said before, this is last year was his, you know, third year, third system in three years. So it's this will be his second year in the system. He's 
you know how diligent the kid is. We've talked about it all the time. He works, you know, he works just as hard on the field as he does off the field. And he's, he's more comfortable, he's more prepared. And, uh, you know, it, it'll be fun to see what happens when we finally get the full complement of players out there with him. Do you believe that after this year you will know one way or another whether Daniel Jones is the guy? We certainly hope so. Say, there, there it is. Boom. There's the truth. Every once in a while, every once in a while, the truth happens to accidentally sneak out. Because I believe that they didn't deliberately trade down from 11 to 20 to stockpile a pick for next year because, hey, then we can move on from Daniel Jones, whether we use those picks as trade capital or to, you know, to get a veteran or you package them and move up. No, it was an opportunity. Exactly. They lost out on Devontae Smith. Right. They wanted Kadarius Tony, and they wisely yes. dropped nine spots and still got him. Yes. Bravo. Right. Not even a golf clap. That's a real applause it definitely for Dave is. Gettleman. Right. And now you're all in with Daniel Jones. We've talked about this, Chris. It's no excuses, Daniel Jones, in 2021. Not with Tony, Kenny Galladay, Kyle Rudolph, Saquon Barkley's healthy. They still have Evan Ingram. No. you. It's Daniel, time for you to play like Josh Allen. And if you don't, oh, hey, look at this. We got two first-round picks that we can use to either trade for Russell Wilson plus more. That's a possibility. He was linked to the Giants back when he got his last contract. There's other potential quarterbacks out there they could try to trade for, or they could try to trade up. So, yeah, if he doesn't get it done, we believe in you completely, Daniel Jones, and we will revisit whether we believe in you after right. this season. Yeah, right. Welcome to the NFL. That's what everybody's life is like. We believe in you, and then we'll see how the year goes, and we'll see if we still believe in you. I mean, you know, I, I, I know – you know, like, I'm glad you said that, Mike. I mean, first off, no, I, the, the Giants didn't make that trade looking down two years from now going, oh, well, Daniel might fall off, so let's get another asset. They, they truly do believe in Daniel Jones. He stands for everything the New York Giants want at the quarterback position. You know, and it, the style of play they're trying to play on the offensive side of the football, they want a Daniel Jones type, a Tom Brady type. Right? This is a lot of New England type coaching staff here. So that's what they're looking for. And also within the Giants, where, you know, listen, I know the public is hard on Daniel Jones and things like that. And I get it, it hasn't been perfect. But what what I want to say to people is like, well, what it, what did you think was supposed to happen? He has that at a crappy offensive line. Saquon's been hurt. It wasn't like the weapons that last year were that great. Yeah, Evan Ingram's really talented. He's got a drop problem. So, okay, there's that's, you know, he catches a few balls. They would have won one or two more games. You know, Sterling Shepard's good. Darius Slayton's a speed, take off the top type of guy. People act like he's like, he's left 5,000 yard seasons on the field. No. And that's where the Giants, I don't think, are looking too far down the road because, you know, you say what you want about the Giants. This ain't their first rodeo. They're not going to panic. And they're also realistic enough to know wait, rookie year, okay showed a lot of promise and did some good things. Oh, then we changed the head coach and the offensive coordinator second year. All right, offensive line wasn't good. Saquon got hurt. And, oh, he had to learn another system with Jason Garrett and do that. Like, what does everybody expect? So, yeah, of course they're in the we hope to see and hopefully he sells us as the guy. There's a lot of good things he does. Yeah, he's got to improve what you see right here. Playing backyard football, doing that, being natural. Don't always be a robot. He can throw it. He's smart as hell, but he's got to stop taking sacks because he's trying to listen to what the coach says and going through the reads. And if he can do that, I think he's going to show some people because he's got talent. 
He doesn't lose control of the ball. He's got a pretty good arm. And as you've heard me say before, I don't know any other quarterbacks that had 80-yard runs last year. I know he tripped and fell. I just don't know Should any other ones that got 80 yards. Yeah, right. So, you know, kiss my butt on all that stuff, too. I, I'm kind of sick of hearing all this stuff with Daniel Jones. <laughs> uh, we, we, we may hear more about Daniel Jones coming up next hour or technically this hour since yeah. we're over by a few minutes because we're going to have a draft of the quarterbacks that need to show us something this year. Saquon Barkley in the process of showing us that he's healthy – Barkley would be a great weapon for Jones to have to become the guy that he needs to be. Yesterday, Dave Gettleman was asked whether he still believes Barkley was the right selection with the second overall pick in the 2018 draft. Here's what Gettleman had to say. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's, he's you know, stuff happens. You know, not everything's perfect. And, guy, and, and there are guys all over this league that get hurt and, and big-time players. And, and he's done a great job rehabbing, and I feel the same way about him. He's different, and he's, he's going to be ready to go when he's ready to go. Obviously, though, that stuff does happen more to running backs. Is that not? I, I don't know that that's true. We don't, you don't believe that they have shorter career lives than maybe other positions because of maybe the hits that they I don't, make? I, you know, Jordan, uh, you know, really and truly, you know, <laughs> really and truly, you can talk about injuries at, a, at any position. All right. I, wouldn't, I, I would not make a different decision today that I made in 2018, plain and simple. Hey, he's gripping the side of that table like the bar on a roller coaster down the first hill because if he let go of that table, there was going to be middle fingers flying. He did not appreciate <laughs> yeah. that line of questions. But, but Chris, look, for as much as I'll praise him about how he handled the Jones question about trading down and picking up draft picks, baloney. Stuff happens to running backs. Yes, there are injuries at every position, but your quarterback, thanks to the rule book, is walking around in a sheet of bubble wrap. And – Look, I don't think that I need to sell you on the idea that with the second overall pick in the 2018 draft, the New York Giants should have selected quarterback Wyoming Josh Allen. Well, no, you don't have to sell me on that. You know, yeah, you know, I'm that's my boy Blue. I, I thought he was the best quarterback in the draft, and, you know, we're kind of seeing that. I hear what you're saying there. There's, you know, I, I hear you. But, like, again – Here's an I, I'm not gonna like downgrade or get on Gettleman. Yeah, you said some. Hey, it's a dangerous position running back, but there's a whole lot of top running backs we can look at too to go. They've played the first four years of their career and haven't been hurt at all. You know, yeah. I know. Then it's draft risky. him in round two, three, or four. I Don't know. draft him with the second overall pick. I get it. I get it. You know, but also there's Ezekiel Elliott who was the fourth pick and he's he's been okay, right? So they also saw that within their own division. And here's the bottom line. Like a little bit like, you know, I always give you credit for you calling like the Kyler Murray shot, right, with Arizona. You said it like at the end of the season when Josh Rosen was playing. Like, I don't know if they're going to be able to pass up on Kyler Murray. You were staying at the combine. This might be one of those things. I, I You know, not that they had a special running back on their team, but what I'm saying is it's a hard guy to pass up. I mean, Saquon Barkley, I mean, he's got Hall of Fame talent. You know, you watch the film and like anybody did coming out of college. I mean, th this is Barry Sanders type crap. I mean, oh, okay, I broke his ankles, I broke his ankles, and now I'm going to outrun everybody for a 70-yard touchdown. There's just not many people on the planet that can do that. 
So I, I'm not going to necessarily fault him for taking this guy because he is like a special, special running back who has special skills that you just don't see come along all that often. And yeah, he's been burned by the injury bug, and now we can second guess. And yeah, that's part of you know Dave Gettleman's risk-reward factor taking a running back at number two. But I, I'm not going to be mad at him for that choice. Let's not overlook the fact that the Giants were still caught in that awkward late career Eli Thank Manning you. Yes, dance. Exactly right. And if it was a year later, Maybe. right? It just they yeah. it just missed by a year. If it's a year later, you take the quarterback and not the running back. But that year, while you're still trying to get the last little bit of That's toothpaste out of the doing. tube, you know, it's all curled up down to the end and you got to press on the back right. of it to get that last little dollop so you can brush your teeth before you go out the door, that's what they were doing in in 2018. I'm glad with you Eli that Manning, up. right? And Saquon Barkley helped. Yes, he helped Eli Manning's last year. Yes, he did. Yeah, you're right though. You know that, that that's that's why context matters. You're exactly right. They were trying to squeeze another year, maybe two. We think Eli could still do it if they give him the right support and have a run game and all those type of things. So that went into the decision too. And the Giants fans weren't mad then, but here they are three years later now going to question it. And that's where, you know, me, that just pisses me off, that kind of crap. Sorry, London. Yeah, it just does. Like, it's like, oh, okay, it was awesome then. Hasn't worked out now. Now we're going to criticize you. Yeah, I, I mean, I know it's pro sports and all those type of things, but I think you laid it out pretty perfectly there, right there. All right. Uh, John Mara, owner of the team, said some stuff yesterday. We'll talk in more detail about one specific thing he said coming up for now though he was asked whether or not general manager dave gettleman is on the hot seat here's mara's response we're all in the hot seat you know i mean with, with our fans in particular we've given them too many losing seasons it's time for us to start winning but no i wouldn't say that i, I wouldn't say that's an accurate statement i'll look at that at the end of the season and see whether i think we're continuing to make progress and moving in the right direction but i'm not issuing a playoff mandate i don't think those ever do you any good i don't think i need to say or do anything to, to motivate the people in this building any more than they're already motivated they, they all want to win don't tell me we're all on the hot seat that you lose me with that first answer i go back to jed york 2015 2016-ish you can't fire the owner you can't fire the owner John Mara is not on the hot seat everyone below him is but he's exempt from that designation the commissioner does not say at the end of a bad year this owner's out we're going to bring in a new owner to try to turn the team around Hmm. so spare me that and I think Mara's approach is he doesn't think it's helpful to use fear of being fired right. as a motivating tactic. Yeah, you may get fired, but let's not have that conversation in August. That's a conversation in January based upon how your team performs this year. Then we'll talk about whether or not you're going to keep your job. So yeah. there's a nuance to it, but it's pretty obvious. I mean, when you, you we've, we've been around the block enough times to know that, yeah, everybody's in jeopardy of getting fired at any given time, but saying it ahead of time isn't going to make your team any better. No, it's just not the Giants' style. They're not going to do that, you know, and a little bit like what Dave Gettleman was saying about Daniel Jones holds true for John Mara talking about Dave Gettleman. we got to evaluate the year. Let's see. Let's see how some of these picks go, some of the free agents that we've signed over the last few years. You know, see if somehow those mo- how some of those moves perform on the actual field will be part of evaluating, okay, did Gettleman make the right moves and do all those type of things? So, I, you know, yeah. I get it. I mean, yeah, we both know that if things go poorly, 
he's probably in trouble. There's no doubt about it. You know, there, there's been some good things that Dave Gettleman's done for that football team that he has changed over. But there's just been a few things that have been like, you know, the Odell Beckham Jr. thing. Of course, that, that made fans, it didn't, I mean, made enemies for Dave Gettleman and the giant fan base to a degree. You know, I think the Nate Soldier really expensive contract at left tackle was another thing that's like people hold against him. But, you know, there's been other things he's done with some mid-round receivers, the running back. He's changed the defensive front to where they're one of the most biggest physical front sevens in all of football. I mean, we'll see where it goes. It, it, they're not there yet, but I think they are a playoff-ish type football team. You know, if you ask me the top two teams that I'm going to go with in the NFC East this year, probably going to pick Washington. I think the Giants are going to give them a run for their money. I do. I just I have faith in Joe Judge and that group over there that they're going to get this straight, and uh, we'll see where it goes. But I I don't see it as a failure year. I need to give your email address or your phone number to Vince, the Cowboys fan, who will now send me a flurry of profane and hostile emails because you did not properly respect the Dallas Cowboys. Screw off, Vince. Um. yeah, I had another thought, and it was a really good. Oh, here you it is. forgot. I, like I knew me? I that was like you, you had made a Chris Sims moment there. Okay, yeah. If, back to Gettleman and Jones. They really are tied together because think of it this way: if Jones flops this year, that's on Gettleman. And then if you're Mara, you're thinking, "Hey, we got the most attractive GM opening in the league. If we're handing the new GM two first-round picks, sure, that he can use however he sees fit to solve our quarterback situation." right out of the gate. So something to keep in mind. All right. Something else John Mara said was relevant. And if he didn't know what it meant to be trending before yesterday, there's a good chance he does now. <laughs> we'll discuss the thing that John Mara said that got plenty of people upset when PFT Live continues right after this. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.